Welcome to Writing Black Joy Season 2. I am Sophia Robinson and I'm a writing coach and an editor and a story listener as well as the producer of Writing Black Joy, a virtual space that celebrates, centers and promotes the voices of Black writers and storytellers with joyful and uplifting stories. Here, you'll find conversations with some of my favorite Black writers and storytellers. Learn more about their projects and the joy they're bringing into the world. Hear more about their creative process and find inspiration for your own creative ventures, as well as tips and strategies for writing poetry, blogs, creative nonfiction, fiction, plays, and so much more from all types of writers, as well as a sneak peek into the writing life. You can even find your next favorite writer, book, poem, play, or blog. And if you are a Black writer who is looking for a coach or an editor to help you bring your joyful story into the world, then click on my website below to find out how to work with me. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Writing Black Joy. I'm alone. I know. It's a bit odd, isn't it? Um, Well, this is actually a little mid-season break. Uh, We've had six episodes thus far, and I want to do a little recap of those things. And uh, we have another six to go, but I just thought it would be a fun little experiment. And I I say experiment because I'm going to confess to you that this whole season, I have been like, you know, learning a few skills here and there, a little video editing, a little audio editing. So mm, we're going to see how this goes, but like, I want to try doing a little, a little wrap up, a little mashup, a little, you know, bringing together a few great points from the last few episodes, just in case this is your first time here and you're like, where do I start? Where do I start? I want to confuse you even more because they're all so good and so juicy. Um, but I just want to give you a little taste of each episode thus far. And if you've watched them already, maybe you'll watch these clips and be like, uh, I'd forgotten about that part. I want to go back and watch it again. And you will. And that's that's just perfect. So all I'm going to say is it, <laughs> it's a bit of an experiment. So just be along with me for the ride. And, and I am going to do a quick wrap up of the first half of season two of Writing Black Joy. Now, the truth of the matter is I've been having so much fun chatting with storytellers. You know me, I'm a story listener at heart. So this has been like, oh, my heaven, right? And honestly, it's been so fun that I actually already have ideas for the next few seasons. And I'm going to tell you about that in a few weeks time. But I've really had some incredible guests so far. And I have some really amazing ones coming up again over the next few weeks. So yeah, this is just a collection of some of my favorite moments, my favorite memories, in case you, like me, want to relive some of the best parts of the season so far, right? So before I dive in, though, one thing I want to share with you is a little bit of my inspiration behind season two. I didn't really, I talked about this a little bit in the uh, episode three I had with Thea Charles, uh, and if you haven't seen it, obviously you're going to catch a little taste of that in a minute, but I just want you to go deeper into it right now. So I'm going to admit that season one was really also an experiment to test out an idea. Uh, And by the way, if you haven't listened to season one, you're going to have to check it out on YouTube or head over to the website. Season one is 
not up yet on the podcast app. It's going to be there hopefully later on this year. But in the meantime, you can catch it up on YouTube or you can catch it up on the website. So after season one, I took a little break and I kind of reflected on what happened, what didn't happen, how it went, how it didn't go according to the plan and how that was good and how that was not good. I actually wrote a couple of blog posts on this that I'm going to link to in the show notes below, right? So you can check that out. But what really happened after I did all that reflection was that I kind of wanted to expand season two and interview even more types of storytellers. Now, it seemed like a bit of a strange idea when I first got it, and I won't lie, you know, I was a bit conflicted about it. It was like, do I niche down? Do I get even more specific and only have nonfiction writers or only have book writers? Or do I do what like my heart was telling me to do and open it up to different types of storytellers? At the end of the day, you know what? There's still more seasons to come. Niching down could still happen. But I felt like for this season, I wanted to really expand the guests I had on the show. I wanted podcasters. First time I invited a podcaster on, really good friend of mine. She was like, but I'm not a writer. Um, And you know what? Maybe she doesn't see herself as a writer. Who knows? But what it got me thinking about was the fact that it's 2022 now. And ideas are spread in so many ways that weren't even real when I was a child growing up. And when I was a child growing up, it was all about books and the radio. You know, my dad had some LPs that we'd listen to, like maybe musical uh, and albums and stuff like that on. But it was really, for me, for my life, it was books and the radio. Now we have blogs, we have YouTube, TikTok, podcasts, we even have online courses And some ideas that previously might have found a home in in a book, play, or a magazine, it just has so many more places to go now, right? we got Clubhouse, we we have so many different options for you to kind of share those ideas. And so that means that even those who don't consider themselves writers, but who still have ideas to spread, you now have so many more options, right? And these platforms are having such a big influence on where and how folks find information and entertainment. And so, of course, I think joyful representation is important in these spaces as well. With that being said, writers are my heart. And so, of course, I opened up the season with two special guests and we dove deep into topics, especially for writers. So first person I spoke to was Don Michelle Hardy, who is the literary lobbyist. She's a literary agent, a self-publishing consultant, and she and I covered so many topics. If you're a writer and you haven't heard that episode, like go back once you finish listening to this one or watching it, go back and listen to Don. Um, Don's episode and the one after that, Kathleen, you're going to pick up some really great tips as a writer. Okay, Um, Don and I covered the importance of audience building and so many ways you can do that, whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, even memoirs. We also talk about self-publishing versus traditional publishing and how to make that decision. We talked about the importance of editing, no matter how you're publishing and how to find an agent and how to increase your chances of finding an agent, the landscape of the publishing industry for Black writers and creators and so much more. I mean, we went deep, right? So... Here is a snippet of our interview, the first snippet, I would say, and Dawn, you know, and I talk a little bit about why she thinks writing Black Joy is so important. Oh, my goodness. Um, Simply because, like, you know, in, in humanity, we have our ups and downs. 
but it's not always bad. And there's definitely, I feel like in every person's life, there's definitely more happy, joyful moments than, than heartbreaking ones. And so to me, when you write a book, you're, you're leaving a legacy. That book will outlive you. Somebody yeah. will have it in a used bookstore. It'll, your publisher will continue to print it, but your book will outlive you. So the doom and gloom is always recorded in history. But oh, I yeah. feel like for, for the generations to come after us, they need to see our wins. They need to see our successes. They definitely need to see us in love. They definitely yes. need to see us celebrate the birth of a baby, go on vacation, win the promotion, and just living a good life because that really is indicative of the lives that we live. And I feel like if you're leaving too much of the negativity behind, what kind of level of hope are you leaving for the next generation? So to me, writing about Black joy is mandatory if, if you are a writer at some point in time, because you want people to be able to read that and find hope and inspiration from that. They're not going to yes. find hope and inspiration, you know, from stories about genocide. Constantly, <laughs> like, exactly. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? So, and you I know, agree. And, and racial divide. So it's like, yeah. okay, like, okay, can we sprinkle that in with a little bit of sunshine and sprinkles? Now, another thing we talked about was audience building for different types of books. And the thing I love about chatting with Dawn is she always has so many examples to give that really bring her points to life. Now, take a listen as we talk a bit about audience building and some of her clients and what they did. When do you yeah. think it's a good time to start building an audience? You think it's like when you start writing? Do you think you wait until you're finishing the book? Like, when do you think it's a good time to start that process? So here's the thing. So when it comes to nonfiction... If, if you decide you want to do a book on like relationships or diversity and inclusion, more than likely what inspires you to want to write a book about that is because you're already doing the work and, and people have come to you with questions or are engaging you in conversation around the topic that you're already talking about. You know, so whether you have a relationship blog or you're a diversity inclusion officer at, at a company, you're already having those conversations in rooms. There's just no, there's just no book. So a lot of times when you're doing nonfiction, the book idea comes from the work that you're actually already doing yes. five days a week. So you're actually building a platform because you're already doing the work. So anybody who's following your relationship blog, you, that's now an audience that when you have a relationship book, those would be some of the first people that would support you because they've been following you for years and they love the relationship advice you give on your blog. Same yeah. thing if you're uh, DNI, um, you can then go back to certain companies that you've been a guest speaker at and now you have a book in the back of the room that when you leave the podium, you can still leave your words and wisdom behind in, in the book. Mm -hmm. When you're doing uh, fiction, I still say it's the same thing. Once you decide what kind of story you want to write, you know, the genre, I'm writing a children's book, um, a novel, fantasy, whatever it is. At that point in time, you need to start finding out who are the people that would be interested in reading this book. So even while you're writing it, you need to figure out like, okay, what blogs are they on? You know, what what writing groups are they a part of? You know, are they, are they on Goodreads? Are they on a platform called Wattpad? And the reason for that is, even during your writing process, maybe you may get to the point where you need a beta reader. You can then go to some of those people that you know already like to read fantasy and ask them to become beta readers. Why? Because they read so much fantasy already. So yeah. they can give you an honest answer because they're already immersed in that genre. So whether you're doing fiction or nonfiction, I always tell people you should be creating a platform either while you're writing the book or once you decide that you want to write a book and you know what you want to write it on. Mm -hmm. So even if a person is doing a memoir about parenting, so now memoir, you know, that's about your life. So it's like, okay, how do I build a platform 
um, around talking about something that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Once again, it's, everything is in the category. So I worked with the woman, Marianne Howland, and her book is called Warrior Rising. And it was basically about how she as a single mom got four men to serve as lifelong mentors to her son. Because by the age of 13, she realized that as a mother, she could not teach her son how to be a man. She needed men to do that. So she, oh. so she went, so she went to other men. So with her in that case, telling her and her son's story, um, you know, because he was born premature and things of that nature, but also just serving on parenting platforms and and mommy blogs, sharing the story of her and her son, because there are a lot of single mothers who have sons. And yep. at that puberty age, you're at the fork in the road where you're like, okay, I'm about to yoke this little one up by the collar because I don't know what to do because that's 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 really the season where a man really needs to step in yeah um, and because but you may not know how to execute that to do that and because boys look to men for that example so yes you're, you're their yeah. mother and you're providing a great you know you think a great foundation but they're looking at you yeah. and they're yeah. like yeah but I'm not gonna be a woman I'm gonna be a man what are men doing so that's the time yeah. that that intervention and she gives she gives so many resources and they did a, um, a rite of passage ceremony and everything. So in her building her platform, one, she was already a professional woman and, and people knew her story about her son because he was mm-hmm. premature and things of that nature um, and that she was a single mom. So it was a really rough journey in those first few years of being single, being a professional woman, being the breadwinner, but having a son who has illnesses and handicaps. And so mm-hmm. people knew the evolution of her story. But again, you can share your personal story with people that you know along the way. And then when it was time for her book to come out, she did Parenting Magazine. She did a lot of mommy blogs and podcasts and things of that nature to basically share the advice. So even with her, you're not the only single woman with the son. So what you need to do, her content was basically sharing her journey as a single mother and offering advice. And again, that was something she was able to do once she decided I want, you know what, I want to share my story. And also part of her book idea came from sharing it with people and people saying, oh my God, Marianne, you really should write a book. Mm, Yeah. yeah. You know, it wasn't necessarily one day I'm going to write a memoir about what me and my son went through. As people got to know her in business and nonprofit settings and just her living her life and the same thing with her son, they were so impressed by what she had done as a mother that people would say, you totally should write a book about this. Yeah. And then that, and then comes the memoir. Mm-hmm. And that's what grows. But you about. definitely need to, every author, whether it's poetry, children's book, whatever it is, you need to be working on building a platform while you're writing the book or even, even before, simply because you can't get a literary agent if you don't have a platform and mm-hmm. you can't get a traditional publishing deal without a platform. And if you say, okay, well, I don't want either one of those, I'm going to self-publish. You still don't have the audience that's going to buy the book because you haven't taken the time to build a platform. So when you don't build a platform, I, I describe it as going into an auditorium, stepping onto the stage, getting into the mic and preparing to give a presentation, but there's nobody in the room. So, so your, your PowerPoint is ready to go. You look beautiful, but there's absolutely no one in the auditorium except for you because you never took the time to let people know that I, I have knowledge and I speak on this particular topic and I'm going to be speaking on this particular day. Hmm. So you just, you just showed up with your book and saying, okay, I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah. To who? Didn't, to who? Invite, didn't invite anybody into the room. And you like, I, I know you obviously said this, but I just want to reiterate this. You think this also yeah. applies to fiction writers yes. who even want to get a traditional publishing deal because yes. I, 
I know a few fiction writers who, you know, have been looking for agents for a while, but I don't, I think they were so focused on the writing process that like, so even, so with fiction, here's the thing. So if you're writing, you know, a book like destination wedding, Mm -hmm. she, her platform, Jacqueline Holmes, is her platform in writing destination wedding was that she was already just writing. She has a so, very busy blog. She, she blogs. Right. So, so she has a blog. She had um she had done nonfiction stuff, but she also like interviews celebrities and stuff like that. Yes. So even if you're writing fiction, at that point is really just getting your name out there for people to say, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I remember that article. Or for you to share and say, here's a sample of my writing, you know, here are three interviews that I did in 2018. So it's really writing and getting it out there for somebody to see and like i said most times people start with blogs but there are platforms like medium and thrive global where you can set up platforms um and your own page and Mm -hmm. right there where there's already a community so more eyes are on it but you really need to um have just have your writing out there Mm -hmm. it's not about have you published other novels maybe you submit for short story competitions um Mm -hmm. which is really helpful when you're writing a novel because if you win the publisher is definitely going to put, oh, winner of the 2017 short story fiction prize, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever. They'll, they yes. will put that in your bio or put that somewhere in your press materials. They love that. And yeah. And in ter- other platforms, I know there's one called Vocal. Um, mm-hmm. I have a client who writes for Vocal and she writes a lot of her fiction on Vocal. Um, okay. And the other thing, which I think is interesting, is there are a lot of podcasts out there, like there's, there's, Podcasts for romance novel. Absolutely. Listen, podcasts have become like a gem. I remember a friend of mine, she's been in the podcast maybe now like seven or eight years or so. Um, Mm -hmm. And and she was one of the first people that I knew that was avidly listening to them. But because there's a podcast on pretty much every subject under the sun, those podcasts, they are building an audience for people to tune into their show. So by you being a guest, just like what we're doing now, by you being a guest on that podcast, whoever is already following your series will now get to know about that particular um, author. So even doing podcasts before the book comes out and just sharing the journey or sharing the subject matter in which your book is going to be about, that's a way of building an audience. People just need to know that you exist and that you like to talk about certain topics that ultimately will be topics in your book. Yeah, I think those are some great ideas. And so hopefully listeners will get some ideas uh, for their own uh, projects. All right. Now, episode two was Kathleen Natea. And Kathleen, we had so much fun. There was so much laughter in this one. And we talked all about the editing process. Listen, her, how she speaks is so beautiful, right? And she had a really incredible explanation of why joyful Black stories are important to her. I love that question because I feel like we've been asking it a lot in just entertainment in general, where people are like, I'm sick of the slavery story. I'm sick of the white savior story. I'm sick of the black struggle story. And I feel like it's important because it's hard to dream of yourself in a way or to envision a life that you've never seen. And so it's important for me to make sure that what I put out there is letting, you know, I'm born and raised in the Bronx. And so I want any other little girl growing up in the Bronx who feels a little weird to be able to see themselves in a story that I write that's joyful and know or imagine that I can have that kind of life too. I can 
see myself as a mythical creature or, you know, I can imagine myself as a superhero. I can think about myself in a way that denotes, you know, joy and freedom and just positive experiences. And growing up, I never saw anything like that. Mm -hmm. Every image I saw of Blackness, especially Black Americans, was negative. It was either where the slave, where the thug, where the victim all the time. And I know that as much pain as there was in my life, there was an immense amount of joy. And so I want to portray that in the work that I do so that anyone coming up behind me knows what is possible for them. Because I want everyone else to see or to envision themselves in places and in ways that we don't normally get to see in society. So Yeah, that's why it's important for me to have joy as a part of the stories I tell. Okay, now Kathleen and I also talked about the myth that you can write a book alone and about writers' fears around having their own unique voice removed from the editing process. So she and I talked about how we define and describe the editing process as well. The first thing I, I would say is editing is a suggestion. We are paying, you're paying us to suggest things to you. Nothing we say is written in stone. You do not have to take any of our advice. If you feel like an editor is giving you a suggestion that does not feel true to your characters, that does not feel true to your story or to you and your voice as a writer, you can absolutely disregard it and move on to the next suggestion. It's your work. And I will say, though, that it's a valid fear because I've experienced working with people like that who felt like if you weren't writing like Shakespeare, then you were not valuable as a writer. Mm. And so I completely understand having that fear that someone is going to try to impose themselves onto your work. But like I said, it's all suggestions and you don't have to take anyone's ideas or thoughts about your work seriously. You don't. No. And I think that's so important. I had a really good when I um the my first book, which I self-published, I had an a, amazing editor. And that was one of the first things that she told me. She was like, you don't have to change anything you don't want to change. Like, let's mm-hmm. start there. Right. Um, and how I tend to describe editing to my clients is like editing is as you said, it's a suggestion, which you, you know, it's up to you whether you take it or leave it, but it's really a way of having an external lens to kind of catch the things that you did not catch mm-hmm. um, to, to help you. Like I had a, a guest who, by the time this comes out, she would have been out last week, Don Michelle Hardy. She's a literary agent and different. And she said, editing makes you a better writer, right? Absolutely. Because you already know the full story in your mind. And so you're, you're reading and you're filling in the gaps, whether it's, whether it's your spelling whether it's the grammar that you're using, you spell something wrong, but in your mind, you're seeing it correctly because mm-hmm. you already know how to spell it. But it's also the stories. Like you, are, you, you, you know the background of the story. You, are, you know all these things. Maybe the reader doesn't know these things. And so sometimes the editor will come along and be like, you know, you can flesh this out more, right? Mm-hmm. I think people think an editor is going to take their work and rewrite it for them and be like, right. oh, okay, well, I've sent it off to the printers now. So too bad for you when mm-hmm. really... And editing is a collaborative process. Yes. Right? It's a very collaborative process with between you, the writer, and the editor, with the editor making sure that the reader is reading your intention for the story, yes. um, which you may not have been clear about because you already know it in your head. And so you've been skipping pieces out and missing or whatever the case may be. So 
that's what the editors are for. They're there to collaborate with you as the writer. So they're not there to rewrite it for you or hold those over your opinions. It's like, they're there to collaborate with you to ensure that what you present to the world was what you intended to present. And so if it's your intention to present something that's written, um, there's a book that I love, uh, Love After Love by Ingrid Prasad. She's a Trinidadian um, writer. And we read it for our book club months ago, last year, I think. She's, I love her. She's actually come, I actually got to meet her in person at our, then we read her first book for our book club. And we talked about it then, right? She writes a lot of Trinidadian phrases and accent and I actually had the audiobook so I felt like she was sitting in my kitchen reading it to me which was so awesome and that is it that is the book that she wanted that's the experience she wanted the reader to have and to Mm -hmm. me an editor is there to ensure that the reader has the experience that you want them to have a good editor yes a good editor that's what they're there to do collaborate Mm -hmm. with you to do that so that's how I tend to describe it and I love how you describe it as a suggestion because it's really important to realize like you don't have anything you don't want to is your book right right right. and trust me there are times when we might be telling you the right thing and you're like I'm not with it and that's fine (laughs) it is your work at the end of the day And we also talked about choosing an editor that really respects your story and what the different types of editing are out there and, you know, different ways that you can basically hire an editor, work with an editor to help bring your work into the world. One thing I want to say is, as a writer myself, it is 100% okay for you to vet an editor. Take your time, ask them questions, Find out what types of books they like to read. What types of things have they edited in the past? What are their feelings on, you know, dialects and in dialogue? And know those things before you give them your work because you want to make sure that you have someone who's editing your work that not necessarily sees the world the way that you do, but respects the way that you see the world and understands that you're putting bits of yourself into your work And so there are things that they just cannot fully critique or understand because it's something coming from you. So you want to make sure that you're taking the time to say, you know, what do you read? I'm writing a a literary fiction book about, you know, two kids who save the world, but those kids are from the inner city or, you know, they're from a specific type of culture. And are you okay with editing that work? Do you understand the nuances of that culture? And if you don't, do you, will you take the time to have conversations with me about those nuances before making final decisions about what you think should be changed and what shouldn't? Those yeah. are the things that I would suggest greatly. Um, one thing that we didn't do, but we can kind of like do quickly, because as I said, right at the beginning, you said you really loved developmental editing. And mm-hmm. I feel like I want to, I, I, I can start and then you can jump in if you want. But like, I just wanted writers to know that there are different types of editing. Mm-hmm. All right. So I always describe developmental editing. Like to me, that's, that's a real cool creative process of like, you may have a bunch of content. Maybe you've got blog posts. Maybe you've got like, bits of a story from here or there you've got ideas you've got things in your journal that you've been writing down like you've got a fair amount of content and the developmental editor works with you to kind of bring the story together bring the draft together um Mm -hmm. what, what would you add to that if you're having like bits and pieces here or there I think that's when you really need to get a second person involved that's when you really need to get an editor involved because when you have all of these pieces and you're not seeing the way to connect it all, it's 
you are looking at it too much and you may mm-hmm. need, you may need to zoom out and let someone else deal with it. So when you have a piece here and a piece there and you're not really sure how to connect it and you might think that this way and the characters look in this way in this section and then they change to this in this section you're not sure how you got from A to B you need someone else's opinion mm-hmm. to get in there and show you well this is how you got from A to B this is yes. what you're missing so that that's developmental editing <laughs> yes. uh, and so that's something that you would do before you're even finished the piece right oh yeah um so then you have and I, I realize different people different sphere they call it different things they may call it copy editing there's line editing that mm-hmm. type of thing and I feel like so that is to me now that's with a finished draft right so you mm-hmm. finished your draft you've kind of gone through a few edits yourself um, and now you're giving it to someone else to kind of do the, the first broad edit and to me copy copy editing um structural <laughs> editing whatever you want to call it it's like the person looking at the book and ensuring you have coherence, cohesiveness, continuity yes. from one chapter to the next, from one from the beginning to the end. The example that I always give you writing nonfiction is like you might decide I'm going to write this book for for um, moms. I'm going to write a book for moms and I'm writing all this stuff for mom. And then by the end of it, you're talking about pregnancy and it's like. Did you mean to do that? Did you did you want did you mean to be switching kind of like who the focus was on? Maybe you want to switch these around so that you start talking about pregnancy and then you end up talking about moms. Maybe you don't want to include this piece. Maybe you just want to yes. keep the mom bit here and take the pregnancy. You know, like how make sure that the book is cohesive and coherent mm-hmm. and the content you don't switch contacts from beginning to end that type of thing yes right so that to me is more like that structural piece so you've got a finished draft now um, and the person is just helping you to ensure that the reader has this great experience of reading from start to finish and they you it kind of is what you want it to be right Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to that yeah I think that's a perfect way to describe it it's definitely making sure you know if you started out writing in past tense in the beginning, mm-hmm. you didn't suddenly become present tense in the middle and then go mm-hmm. to being past tense. And yeah. you want someone else to look at that and see yeah. that. And that's what, you know, line editing and copy editing can do is they really take their time and they're going through each and everything that you say and making sure that what you're saying makes sense and yes. connects to what you intend to say. And it, and it is what you intend to say. And I always say like, you know, I, I've been blogging for a few years now and I started, um, recording audio, recording my blogs and even reading them out loud, I was catching my own mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, that's to me, like an editor can do that on a larger scale because it's hard for you to catch your own mistakes. And so they're looking at that's you know, it's called line editing because they go line by line. Like did this sentence make sense? Like the paragraph might've made sense, but this sentence, this doesn't actually make sense. Like it doesn't actually fit here. It doesn't yes. make any sense. Is that what you meant to say? Did it, was this a typo? Did you miss out a word? Like this mm-hmm. doesn't actually make sense. And when you read it, because you know what it's supposed to say, you just glossed right over it. You don't even right. know that it's there. So that's what the line editing to me process is about. Yeah. And not just that. It's just like in this conversation, how many times have we gone off on a tangent? You do mm. that in your writing. Oh, and yeah. you want someone to catch those tangents and say, hey, you got a little personal right here. Yeah, I don't think that was back. supposed to happen right there. Bring <laughs> it back. Take that out. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> or, or vice versa. One of my guests from season one, Maria Calmore, um, she talked about when she had written a book for entrepreneurs, and the editor was like, 
you know, maybe use some personal stories, personal examples here. And she was like, nobody wants to hear my personal story. I'm like, uh, yeah, they do. No, we need it there. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so even to, to kind of make those types of suggestions to bring in, you know, that type of thing and how can you bring it in to, to, to give an example without kind of going off point. Yeah. Right. So to me, that's what the line editing, the copy editing, because there's lots of different ways to describe it, but that's what yeah. that process mm-hmm. is. Um, and then, you know, finally we talk about proofreading, which is, I think the thing that everybody thinks about the typos and the grammar and the, you know, that type of thing. Um, and that's a different thing. Again, that is mm-hmm. there. Proofreaders aren't supposed to make structural corrections. They're not supposed to say, right. put this here and put that there. They're really there to just, they really should be dealing with a finish. In fact, I remember learning um, a while ago that it's, it's, it should actually, it's, it came from the newspaper, like the media uh, newsprint era where the person was proofing the layout. And so they're like, your book should actually, if it's a book, it should actually be laid out when you're proofreading it so that mm-hmm. you can make sure that, you know, you don't end up with sentences like half a word, <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> that type of thing. So even little things like that, the mm-hmm. proofreader can catch. Um, and so that's why you will write a book, the person will proofread the, the, the thing on the computer, then you'll go and have it laid out in the book, and then you'll get the book draft back. And you're like, this, it's a totally this different experience. Thing. It's like a yeah. totally different book. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's, it's important to have proofreading done at the right time. Don't expect when you give, when you come to work with your developmental editor, they're not checking spelling typos. That's right. It's not going to happen. Right. When you, That's even right. when you have your copy editor, they might not, and they send something back for you to make changes to, they're not necessarily going to be correcting typos. That's not what happens then. That has to be the last thing that happens because if you're making changes, then you want the, the typos corrected after you've made the changes, after you've got it laid out, after you have it, however you want it. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's what I would say. Have you got anything you'd like to say about copy? Cause I know you do some um, proofreading as well. Oh yeah. With proofreading, it is definitely something that should happen when you're already at the point where I'm ready to start submitting this. I'm ready to start. And I just want to really get this as clean as possible because the dev- developmental part of it I don't care how you spell your words. I want to make sure you are telling the story. That's what the developmental part is. And then the copy and the line editing is making sure that it's coherent. And like you said, it's cohesive and it's neat. And then you get to the proofreading. It's like, we're going to prove to people that you can read, (laughs) that you know how words should be spelled and where punctuation goes. And that is it. Okay. Um, Now, next I had with me the incredible Thea Charles. And she's a podcaster and a really good friend and a season one repeat. And just watch out, folks. Thea's probably going to be in every season. Just get used to her. Love her. She's amazing. She also has an incredible podcast as well called the Push Our Pivot Podcast. And she and I talked about so many things, including a little bit of Spider-Man in there. I won't lie. Now, here she is talking about the power of the pause. One of the biggest lessons I learned is the power of the pause. So I feel like a lot of times in our society and just in general, we talk about what are you doing? What are you doing next? What's next? What's next? What's next? But there's something really special about that time when you when you stop and either appreciate or like meditate and realize what it is that's really important to you. And that I think is the most um, powerful moment of all the stories is that moment of clarity where someone took a step back and was able to evaluate and I think that 
that's the biggest lesson from the pusher pivot. No, it was such a privilege to be running my podcast, at least this part of the season, during Black History Month. And also, if you're in the Caribbean, uh, we've got African Awareness Month here going on. But Thea and I talked about a series that she did on her podcast for Black History Month a year or two ago. Um, so take a listen to what she covered there. Tell us what you did for Black History Month. February. Yeah, so I, I did a spotlight on four people. I, I did Shirley Chisholm because I've always looked up to her. I, I just think she's cool. Um, Marsha P. Johnson. I did John Michelle Basquiat and William Grant Still. And I picked them um, because I, I guess there's a theme here that they were very authentically themselves. So, you know, Shirley Chisholm was um, in government and she's unbought and unbossed. That was her, her, um, her tagline. But she, she, you know, fought for what she believed in and not necessarily following any political systems, which was, you know, a big deal for a woman, especially at that time. So with Marsha, uh, she was a trans woman and she actually started um, pride parades and um, the Stonewall riots. So she was just really amazing. That was back in the 70s and early 80s. And then um, John michel Basquiat was a painter. Uh, he did a lot of murals, which you know I love murals. That must I love them. He's a, his artwork is just so... Um, it's just so cool. It's, it's like you're looking into someone's mind. So it's not necessarily completely organized, but you kind of get a sense of where it's going. I, I don't know. I just thought that he was really um, groundbreaking in that. And he didn't really care what anyone else thought, which was, you know. Good stuff. Yeah. So that he was really cool. And then the last person was William Grant Still, and he was a classical composer. Uh, he did amazing works you don't hear about him very often but you know often you don't hear very much about black classical composers no you don't yeah and he was he's excellent so it was just really nice to learn more about these people and to share their stories and you know like when we talk about being authentic I feel like sometimes that's like the greatest form of protest is when you're just yourself all right so my wonderful sister has told me several times that she worries that some of my episodes are too long. So we're going to take a pause here. Um, if you're catching this, the day it drops, it's Monday morning. I'm going to drop uh, the rest of this uh, wrap-up, you know, mid-season wrap-up on Thursday morning. So it's going to be a special midweek drop. And, and there we're going to talk about the other three guests that I had in the first half of season two. Uh, hear a little bit from them have a recap of what they were talking about and what our conversations were about. So yeah, I'll see you all on Thursday. All right. And until then, I send big love from a small island. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about our guests in the notes below. And don't forget to hit subscribe to subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss new episodes when they drop. And if this has inspired you to get your own writing project into the world, Click on my website below and learn how you can work with me as a writing coach or an editor. Until next time, I send you big love from a small island.